Uh, Emily and I were dating. We dated for um, about a year and eight months before we got engaged. But whenever we were dating, we were really intentional about uh, one particular word. And that one particular word we didn't say to each other because we believed, uh, and I believed, that I only wanted to use this one word um, with the person I was planning on marrying. And so in school, it was kind of a joke. Whenever someone else would use this word, we would say that they dropped the L-bomb because it was such a big word. And uh, so I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting on the first floor of our library, and I was journaling. And Emily and I had maybe been dating for uh, over a year. And I was sitting, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to tell Emily I'm going to drop the L-bomb. I, I think, like, Emily is someone that I want to marry, and so I'm going to drop this L-bomb on her. And so I, I texted her, or I called her, and I said, Emily, I have something really, really important to tell you, and I, I need to tell you it right now. And she was like, okay. So I, I went, the library's up on a hill, and so I ran down the hill to her dorm, and I sat in her car, and she's freaking out because she thinks I'm going to break up with her. And uh, I said, Emily, I need to tell you something really important. She's like, what is it? And I was like, you know what? I love you. And I dropped the album, and she said, I love you too. And then you know, she started crying, and I started crying, and it was, it was a whole ordeal. But the point is, this L word, love, is a very powerful word, or at least it can be. In the English language, the word love can be used for a lot of different things, right? Like we say, uh, I love you know, chocolate chip cookies, and I love Nike, and I love sports, and I love my parents, and all of these words of love kind of get intertwined and kind of get confusing sometimes. And today I want to kind of use a, a biblical definition of what love is. And Paul, he's a, um, he is a, a missionary in the New Testament, and he writes to a church in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a city... Um, not known for being the most saint-like. Uh, they had a hard time keeping it in their pants. They had, a, uh, they had a temple dedicated to the goddess of love, to the goddess of uh, Aphrodite. Like, they worshipped love. And Paul, he's writing to this church in this uh, city, and he's like, I want to paint a better picture for you guys of what love is. And so he's writing to this church in Corinth, and it's not, it's not a list, but it, it's a portrait of what love is. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you've probably heard this passage before, but he says this. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy and it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. There's a couple of things that really stick out to me about this portrait of what love is. The first thing that really sticks out to me is that Paul never says that love is a feeling. He never says uh, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is butterflies in your stomach, it does not dishonor others. Paul doesn't say that love is a feeling. In fact, if you look at it, love is always either doing something or it's not doing something. Love seems to Paul to be more of an action than a feeling. Now, I'm not saying love 
isn't a feeling. I think love can be a feeling. But to say love is only a feeling is selling love way short. It's ripping off so much of what love means. If you asked me, if you came up to me and said, Hey, Trotter, what's your relationship with that, uh, with that lady who works upstairs on Sunday? She's a short girl. She's one of our elementary ministers. And I said, Oh, uh, our relationship is that occasionally she uh, makes sure uh, that my clothes match before I walk out the door in the morning. Like, like she's, my, she's my coordinator. I said sometimes, you know, not all the time. Sometimes she, she doesn't catch me and I still walk out the door looking like an idiot. Um, but most of the time she'll be like, hey, you know, like maybe, maybe you shouldn't wear that or yeah, definitely don't wear that. Um, and if I said that was our relationship, it wouldn't be a lie, but it wouldn't, it would be selling marriage way short. There's so much more to that. And love is the same way. To say love is only a feeling is to sell love way short. There's so much more to it. The other thing that sticks out to me about that passage, it's in verse 5, and it says, love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't put me first. In fact, if I love someone, the act of me loving them always puts them above myself, their needs above my needs, their wants above my wants, their desires above my desires. That's what love is. It's not self-seeking. And I really want you guys to understand that. Love is selfless. It's always giving to another person. Then there's another four-letter L word that you guys have probably heard before. And the Bible has a lot to say about this too. And this is the word lust. Now many of us, whenever we think of the word lust, maybe our, our minds go to just, you know, images or inappropriate videos. But just like love, lust has a lot broader meaning. Uh, love, or lust, um, I want to go through Three things that lust is. Some, lust is something that takes place in our minds and our hearts. The first thing I want you to know that the Bible says about lust is that lust is about things. Where love was about someone else, lust is always about how can I get something. True love is always directed towards people. But when we love things... We are actually lusting after them. You might love someone, or you might be just lusting after something they can give you, or something that they have. And whenever we do that, we're turning that someone into an object, and not in a person anymore. So lust is about things. Secondly, lust is a feeling. The Bible often talks about fleshly desires. That's a weird word, uh, weird phrases. Everyone say fleshly desires. Yeah, it's kind of a gross set of words, isn't it? I think so anyway. Uh, fleshly desires are basically desires that are void of God. So whenever God created everything, it says he created it and then he said it was good. So that means that anything in this world can be good. But whenever we want that thing more than we want God... That is lusting after. It's a feeling void of God. So lust is about things. Lust is a feeling. And lastly, lust is selfish. It's focused on personal gain and satisfaction. 
And this might be the biggest distinction between love and lust. If I could sum up this sermon, it would be this. That lust is selfish while love is selfless. Lust is always about me. It's always about getting what I want. It's always about how can I have something. It's about those feelings. I want to feel more butterflies in my stomach. Or I want this you know, uh, desire to be fulfilled. It's all, always about me. But love is selfless. It's always giving. It's how can I make that person feel better today? How can I show them that they are appreciated? It's always putting a person above yourself. But lust, man, it can kind of wreck our world. And there's a lot of effects of lust. And we read uh, a larger per- portion of this during our worship. I'm going to read some of it again. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, talks about how lust changes our lives. And it says this, in verse 17, Paul's writing, he says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Live no longer as the people who don't believe in God. And he's saying this with the Lord's authority. For they are hopelessly confused. Oh, that's kind of harsh. Their minds are full of darkness. And they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Don't live anymore as people who don't believe in God. Because whenever we lust, it changes and it creates a a cycle, a life cycle. It says um, their minds were full of darkness. This is the first effect that lust has. It, It shapes our thinking. Because whenever we lust, we desire something. And then that desire produces an action And then that action produces more desires. And that desire produces more actions. And it's just a cycle of the mind and the heart going over and over again. And it leads us more down this path of lust. And it's harder to get back to seeing what love truly is. So that's the first effect. It, It changes our mind. It darkens our understanding. Number two, we lose sensitivity. Where things seem to be bad, no longer seem as bad. Where things you were really heartbroken about, it's just like, oh, I I did it again this week, or I did it again today. And we lose this sensitivity of, oh man, I am not only changing and darkening my mind, not only am I sinning against a person who I'm lusting after, but also I'm I'm breaking God's heart because this isn't how he designed me. It's not how he created me to be. So it darkens our understanding, we lose sensitivity, and lastly, it leaves us wanting more and more and more and more. And you can never get enough of it. And in a moment, we're going to talk about why that is. But right now, I want to address an elephant in the room, okay? Because uh, we've been, you know, kind of bouncing around this word. Uh, and I want to address it, and it's the word of pornography. Uh, a lot of you, if statistics are right, over half of you have been exposed to pornography. And so uh, we're going to watch a video, uh, but before we do, I want everyone to take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, you can let it out. <sighs> 
All right, this is the seventh inning stretch, okay? Give it a little stretch. Move your arms a little bit. All right, feel good? All right? All right, now uh, pay attention to this video. Here we go. about uh, because there's something about this struggle that fills us it might fill us with shame and conviction uh, because I bet and I can probably accurately say that I know a lot of you guys have dealt with this before if not currently um, but there's probably two things that are going on in your heart right now the first one is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is probably working on your heart and it's saying uh, to stop it. It's saying that you've done something terrible. And that's true. The, the Holy Spirit convicts us and it tells us what we've done wrong so that we can live a life that Jesus calls us to. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The second thing that might be going on in your heart is what the devil is doing. The devil wants you to fi be filled with shame. Whereas conviction says, I've done something terrible. Shame in the devil says, you are a ter terrible person. And this is not the gospel. The gospel is not about shame. Uh, Satan wants you to think, uh, wants you to place your identity in this. And you are so much more than what you've done. And Jesus did not go on the cross so that you could feel shame. Because it was in your shame. It was in the uh, deepest pit of despair of pornography 
And that's when Jesus came. Because scripture says, uh, but while we were still sinners, while we were trapped in the pit of pornography, Christ loved us. And God sent his son and he saved us. But God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us, when we were at our worst. And he died naked on a cross, the creator of the universe, at the hands of men, naked, filled with shame, so that you don't have to feel that shame anymore. Do you see the difference between conviction and shame? I hope you do. But I want to help you guys with some steps um, because we don't want to live in this anymore, in this conviction and in this shame. So here are a couple steps to help you through this. The first step is to come clean. You need to confess before God what you are doing because you can't heal from something that you don't admit is wrong. And scripture says that when we confess our fins, sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second thing that you guys need to do is you need to get help. You can't face this on your own. You aren't Superman. You aren't Superwoman. You need people around you. And it might be uh, harder. It might be easy to confess before God what you've done. But I have a feeling it's going to be even harder to ask for help from other people. You can't do it on your own. So maybe uh, you need to tell your small group leader. Maybe you need to tell your parent. Uh, if you need to tell a friend to help you tell a parent or a small group leader, that would be great too. Because you can't do it on your own. And we are a family. And we need to build one another up and spur one another on to love and good deeds. So number one, you need to confess. You need to come clean before God. Number two, you need to get help because you can't do it on your own. And number three, you need to embrace God's grace. You will not find freedom and victory in your own strength. You just can't. And chances are you've probably tried before, but you can't do it. You need to fall into his grace because he is there waiting for you. He's there waiting for you. Uh, number four is to set up boundaries. So uh, you can't just set up your own boundaries because if you set up your own boundaries, you know your way around those boundaries. You need help setting those boundaries, whether that's your small group leader or a friend or a parent, whatever it is. This is important so that you don't fall back into the same stuff. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off so that uh, it's better to go into heaven with one hand than let that hand make you fall into more and more sin. So today, if uh, the equivalent might be, uh, it is better for you to go uh, five, ten years without TikTok than it is to go, uh, than to keep continuing sinning because of TikTok. Now, I'm not saying TikTok is an issue, but I do believe that every avenue of social media can lead you to this uh, idol and to this pitfall of pornography. So I want you to be really careful to set up boundaries and to get help. And, and it is possible. I, I want you guys to know that there is hope. And you can do it because God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And through this spirit, you can overcome what might seem to be impossible. What might seem to be impossible, but it is not. You can do this. And maybe you're one of the few 
who you've never struggled with this and you don't struggle with this, uh, I still want you to pay attention because you have a lot of brothers and sisters in here who do and they need your prayer and they need your support and they don't need your judgment or your condemnation. Because Romans 8 says, if anyone is in Christ, or excuse me, um, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because we have been set free from the law of the spirit of death. So, Uh, maybe some of you guys have been challenged today and that's really good. I hope you feel convicted but I hope you don't feel shame because that's not from Jesus. I want you guys to know that I love you. I know this is kind of a hard conversation uh, but I do and Jesus loves you so much and he loves you a lot more than I do but I want you guys to know that um, today I want you to challenge you and I want you to act on what you have heard Yeah, and so if you need to talk to someone, talk to your small group leader, uh, talk to me, talk to Chris, talk to someone um, so that we can glorify God and we can see his redemptive story in all of our lives. Uh, So again, I I love you guys and you can do it because you have a spirit of power. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for taking our shame to the cross so that we don't have to bear it anymore. I pray for these students that Uh, they would not feel shame, but that they would feel emboldened by your spirit to um, pursue holiness and to pursue what you have called them for. It's your son's awesome and holy and powerful name I pray. Amen.